everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right. Hi, Discovery Church. My name is Zach Krieger, and I serve as uh, the, the area director for Young Life, which is one of our local partners And I'm so excited for today. Steve asked a while back, hey, we're going to do this series called Villains of the Bible. Would you be up for doing something? And I had been in my own time in the book of Leviticus. So for those of you who are like, oh, no, you can start sleeping now. We'll wake you when it's done. Um, But there were these these two brothers that I just finished reading, and it just lit me up. And I'm just so excited to share with you uh, what I got out of that time in the Bible. But um, before I go there, I'm also a dad. Um, My wife and I have three sons, Brogan, Deacon, and Oaks, and they're 11, 9, and 3. And I remember, like it was yesterday, the first time that I took Brogan swimming And he was probably two years old, just a little squirt of a guy. And we went into one of those pools that was like the zero entry pool where you can just kind of walk in. And there's the fountain on the one side, and he's like sitting on the fountain. And there's like this palm tree that's dropping water, and he's playing under that. And and it goes deeper. And, And so he keeps like walking deeper, and he'll come back to the fountain. And then go out a little bit deeper, and then come back to the fountain. And finally, he gets to a point where he's about chest deep, and he knows like this sucker keeps going. And he looks at me like any good two-year-old does, and he goes, Dad! (laughs) And as any good dad, I'm just so excited. I walk where I pick him up. He's been having the time of his life. Like, he's never had this much fun. And we walk out till now I'm about chest deep in the water. And he's, he's just, his mind's blown that, like, this much water could exist in the, on the planet. Like, this is so cool. Colorado kid, right? Not an ocean kid. And, um, and then it happens. He looks at me, and he puts his hands on my chest. And he goes, no. And I was like, no, buddy, you don't understand. Like, this is, it's five feet deep right here. If I let you go, you're going to, he's two, right? Like, he barely knows the English language. So he's not hearing anything other than, I'm restricting your fun right now. <laughs> and he just continues to go, no, no, no. And it, it gets to this place where I'm like, parents are turning their heads. I'm like, I'm not kidnapping him, I promise. Like, this is all normal. Look the other way. And he's freaking out. And and finally, I go, in my head, the, the, I can, there's only one option. Like, a good dad will only do one thing. And I pick him up, and I look him right in the eye, and I go, Brogan, I love you. And I drop him in the water. And I pick him up right away. Okay, don't panic. I pick him up right away, and he's spluttering, and he's wiping all the water out of his eyes. And, and he catches his breath, and he looks at me in my eyes, and he puts his hands on my chest. And he says, no, and he shoves away again. And I'm like, you are not understanding the situation that you're in right now. This is not going to end well for you. And it was one of those moments, I don't know, for those of you that are parents, I, don't, I think we have these, um, but one of those moments where it just felt like Jesus ducked in for, in the door for a second. It was like, hey, Zach, pay attention because that's, that's you. Um, I'll leave you with that. And, and it just like, it stuck with me. He's 11 now. That was nine years ago. And I remember like it was yesterday. This moment of, if you're in my presence, if you're with me, you're going to be okay. But the moment that you push away from me, things are not going to be well. 
And um, today we're looking at two brothers in Leviticus. Their names are Nadab and Abihu, not names that are going to show up on the top 100 list anytime soon. And they're priests. And if you're new to this Bible thing, you might be wondering, how are priests the bad guys? Um, Spoiler alert, a lot of the times the religious people are the bad guys in the Bible. And usually it's because they're trying so hard or they've got their nails sunk so deep into their religion That's actually not the problem that these guys are going to have, and we're going to get there. Um, But before we do, we have to understand the context of what's going on. And in order to do that, actually for this one, we got to rewind it all the way back to the very beginning, to Genesis 1. So just I'm going to blaze through Genesis and Exodus to help paint the picture of what these brothers are entering into. So in Genesis 1, we have this perfect God, and he's creating everything, the light, the birds. I don't know if he made mosquitoes or somehow they came up later. He makes everything, though, everything. And when it's done, he says, oh, that's so good. Like an artist painting. He's just beaming with joy with each step. But then he gets to the crown jewel. It's the only thing he hand makes. It's a man. And then out of that man, he makes a woman, and he breathes breath into their lungs. And he looks at them, and he doesn't just go, oh, that's good. He looks at those two, and he goes, oh, this is very good. And something different begins with this Adam and Eve that hasn't happened with any other creature. God made them in his image, which fundamentally means relationship. It means we're together. We can, do, we can understand each other. You have a spiritual and emotional and mental capacity to understand who I am and what I'm up to. And God is just beaming with the pride of a dad until the day comes when Adam and Eve put their hands on his chest and they push away and they say no. And again, if you're new to this story, you've probably heard there was this tree. It had some fruit on it. They were told, don't eat from that tree. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. And in a moment of God saying, as long as you stay close to me, as long as you're doing what I ask, things will go well. Don't disobey. And in this moment, they push away from God. And like any good father does, he says, I'm not going to force you if this is what you choose. And he lets him go. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have to leave this Garden of Eden, this place of perfection. And that idea is fundamental to what we have to understand today. It's kind of like this. It's as if the God of the universe were just this clear, perfect pitcher of water. And as he's creating Adam and Eve in his image, he breathes life into them. And in the Garden of Eden, they exist they're one. The water's flowing in and out of both. There is such a unity. Sometimes we use the word intimacy in this place. But they're unified. His presence is perfect to Adam and Eve all the time. And in the moment that they choose to shove away, it's pretty curious that this is what happens. They choose to not be in God's presence. And then we're going to put this up on the screen. It says this. When they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze... The man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? They've separated themselves in this choice that they made. They've gone outside, but not only that, they were perfect. They also were this beautiful, clean cup of water. But then something enters in, and it, it infects everything. And something that was once perfect now is no longer perfect. And obviously, if we have something imperfect, if that goes to back into relationship with something perfect, it's going to spoil what's perfect as well. Perfect and imperfect cannot 
coexist together in each other's presence. So God sends them out of Eden. The cool thing in it all is that it doesn't mean that he's done having relationship. It just affects his presence. And so we see that he's still interacting with Adam and Eve. He's still talking with Cain and Abel, their sons. He continues to talk with Noah and with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God stays very involved in this people that he loves so much. But like any good dad standing in the water watching arms flailing above the waterline. The whole time he's going, no, this is not what I designed you for. I long to have you back in my arms because I know if you stay where you are, you're not going to make it. And so we begin to catch up to our story. In the book of Exodus, Israel, this nation, this chosen people of God had been slaves of Israel for over 400 years. And at this point, God's had enough. He is tired of this. He's heard the prayers of his people, and he says in a moment, I will come and rescue them. But his presence still can't go because the world that the Israelites have created for themselves, the world that Egypt has even created around them, his perfection cannot enter that space. And so he does what any good dad would do. He chooses a representative to go down into this place of imperfection, someone who is himself imperfect. His name's Moses, and this guy is incredible. And we don't have a lot of time to get into everything that he did today, but Moses goes back, and he has a very simple message for Pharaoh in Egypt. He says, hey, you need to let God's people go. And and it's this moment where he's actually offering an invitation to Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, will you trust God? Because God wants to hold you too. Will you trust that what he says is good and true? Because if you trust him, it will go well for you. But if you shove away from what he wants, it won't. And over and over and over again, Pharaoh says, no. And he shoves away from God's plan. And he goes into the water. The Nile River, the source of all of their economy, turns red with blood. The sky opens up and it's raining hail and fire. It's absolute pandemonium. Every time he says no, things get worse and worse and worse until the coup de grace of the whole thing. They called it the Passover. And it was this night where God told Pharaoh, hey, the angel of death is coming to your town. If you trust me, take the blood of a lamb and smear it over your doorpost. And if you do that, this angel will pass through and it will not go into those homes. But if you don't trust me and if you push away, the angel will enter into that house and it will take the firstborn son, which contextually in the Middle East at that time, the firstborn son, everything of the future of the house depended on that kid. And the night of that event comes and there are some who are faithful, many of them Israelites, and there are some who are not, including Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wakes up the next day to find that his boy is dead. He's drowned in the water of pushing away from the Lord. And it's not life. Now, um, to zoom back in on Moses, we have a family tree. I wanted to point this out to you too, just so you understand kind of what's going on. We're really interested in the bottom left down here, but I do want to point out they're from the family line of Levi. Levi is where we get the name Levites. That's the group of people that are going to be the priests for this nation of Israel. As we go down that tree, there's two big names that should stick out to you. The first one is Moses. There he is right there. The second one is his brother Aaron. And Aaron has, two, has four sons, the oldest two, Nadab and Abihu. 
and then two more. Now, with this Passover story, we get the very distinct impression that Aaron is somebody who trusts God because his oldest son is not crossed out in this picture. Nadab is alive and kicking. Aaron has smeared this blood of the lamb over his doorpost and his oldest boy is alive. And the story from here just bursts off the page. Pharaoh finally says, enough, I want you out. And this entire nation of people that have been enslaved for 400 years is set free. And they take off into the desert. And the first thing they come to is an ocean. <laughs> it's a sea. And they, need, they can't go around it. They got to go through it. And what does God do? He takes the ocean and he just parts it in half, and they walk through the freaking ocean. It's this incredible scene. They're, as they're going, they're in the middle of the desert. How the heck are we going to figure out where we're going? God says, I got that too. I'm going to show up during the daytime as a pillar of smoke. Looks very much like what it looks like outside, just more concentrated and good as opposed to that. At nighttime, I'm going to show up as a pillar of fire, and that way I will guide you to the destination where we're going. By the way, where I'm taking you, it's awesome. It's so perfect. You're going to want to trust me. And again, you just, you can just see this dad saying, come back into my arms. I just want to be with you. They continue and, and they're hungry. God provides manna and quail. It's like there's lunchables all over the ground. Take whatever you want. It's great. They get thirsty. Moses hits this rock and it's just this like fountain that pops out. Everybody's just free. This is so good being with God. But there's still one problem that remains. We have this perfect God and we have this people that, that they're still imperfect. And God, like a dad, is saying, no, I want you in my arms. I want you with me. And so then he does something so cool. He calls Moses up to the mountain right above where all the people are. We're going to put this on the screen too. It says this. As Moses went up to meet God, God called down to him from the mountain. Speak to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel, you've seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to me. If you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant, will you trust me? Out of all peoples, you will be my special treasure. The whole earth is mine. Everything is mine to choose from, but you're special. You're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is what I want you to tell the people of Israel. So Moses came back and he called all the elders of Israel together and he set before them all these words which God had commanded. And this is just so cool. The people were unanimous in their response. When was the last time a whole nation was unanimous in anything? I mean, that is how clearly this is being played. Choice A or choice B, every single person unanimously goes, this is what's good and true, that's what we want to do. It's beautiful. And Moses takes that answer back to God. And I just can't imagine the pride as a dad that he has of going, yes, you've been in the water, you see that it's not good, now you're confessing that you want to come to me, how are we going to do this? And God says, I've got a plan for that too. He starts delivering these, these plans, these very specific instructions to build something that's called a tabernacle or a tent of meeting. It's literally a, a, a tent that they're just going to take with them as they're moving through the desert. But God says, no, this one's mine. I'm going to live in this one. My presence, I'm going to be with you moving forward. This is how it's going to go. And, and it's not just like, grab any Coleman tent, pop it up, it's cool. He's very specific. Like, 
for example, just the light fixtures alone, he goes, I want this to be one solid piece of gold. It needs to be about 75 pounds, which in today's monetary world, that's $1.5 million worth of gold. I want to make seven of them, by the way, so more. Um, I want it to come up from the ground, but then I want it to have three branches that come off either side. And I want there to be these almond blossoms, but not just almond blossoms. I want them to have the calyx on the bottom. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. I had to look that up. That's like the, the leaves underneath the petals. He wants those everywhere. And then when it gets up, I want there to be these cups, and that's what's going to hold the oil and the candles. And when you light those, I want it to shine its light forward. And here's exactly where I want you to put them inside the tent. Y'all, that's just the light fixtures. That's crazy. Uh, also, if we want to take up a quick um, offering, we can make a few of those today and just see what they look like. Um, Josephus, the great historian, um, is the one who best records their height, about five feet tall when they're done. This is an impressive piece that the God was commissioning them to make. And it's beautiful. This place where God says, this will be my tent. This is what's going to go inside of it. It was a thing of beauty. It was a thing that if you were an Israelite walking in or being a part of making any part of the process, in every single detail you go, this sucker looks a lot like Genesis 1. The way that we're making light, the way that we're making flowers, the way that we're addressing animals and how people fit into this thing. In Jewish context, this, this tent is a mobile Genesis 1. It's so beautiful. And then, and then, oh, it just gets so much better. The day comes. It's not just the lamps and the lights and the tapestries and the threads that God is particular about. He's also particular about this. Israel, you're imperfect. I want you to be with me again. So here's what we're going to do. He creates this system. And he says, I want you to take an animal. And there's particular animals for particular things. And that animal has never sinned. It's never been imperfect. And what I want you to do is I want you to kill that animal. But before you do, symbolically, we're going to take your sin, everything that's imperfect about you, we're going to swap it with that animal. And then when you kill that animal... It's gone. Beautiful. Can you see this dad going, I want you back so bad. I will pave the road it's going to take to get there. Oh, it's so good. So the day comes. The tabernacle's built. The lamps are inside. Everything's there. They've made their offerings. They're sitting on this altar of fire. It's incredible. And then this happens. This is at the end of Leviticus 9. Have you ever been pumped about Leviticus? Because I don't get pumped about Leviticus very much, but we're about to be. Get lit up by this. On the screen, Aaron lifts his hands over the people to bless them. And having completed the ritual of all of these offerings, he comes down from the altar. Then he and Moses go inside the tent of meeting. And for the very first time, we've got two people back in the presence of God. Oh, my God. Can you imagine the scene? And when they came out, they blessed the people. That's the second time they're blessed in one verse. They blessed the people, and the glory of God appeared to everyone. Fire blazed out from God, and it consumes the offering. It's gone. And everything, and when the people saw it happen, they cheered loudly, and they fell down bowing in reverence. Since Genesis 3, God as a dad is saying, I just want you back. 
come be in my arms, but you can't if you're imperfect. We have to do something about that. And for the first time for him as a dad, since Genesis 3, he's got his kid in his arms again. It's beautiful. And that's when it happens. Freaking Nadab and Abihu. This is the next, like, imagine, it's this ecstatic, I'm getting worked up. It's this beautiful, beautiful scene. And then this is the next sentence. you got to be kidding me. That same day, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, took their censers, which is like, it's these orbs. If you've been in high church, it's these things that carry fire. They took their censers, they put hot coals and incense in them, and they offered, and this is where it gets weird, strange. Like, I like how even the Bible is like, uh, it's strange. It's just strange fire. They offer strange fire to God, something that God had not commanded. And so fire blazed out from God and consumed them. And they died in God's presence. What on earth happened? Here's three things that went wrong. First, this one's conjecture, but I think you can see it between the lines of Scripture These two boys just watched their dad and their uncle in front of their entire nation go into a tent, come out, bless people, and people go crazy. If I'm in that scenario and not paying attention, everything in me goes, hey, bro, let's capitalize on the moment. We can make a name for ourselves, too. Dang it. I don't know if that happened. There are two things that I do know did happen. In Leviticus 16, God is so specific, again, like he's he's so detailed in what he wants. So specific on here's how you're supposed to offer this fire so that it's not strange. You're supposed to go to the altar. Get the fire from the altar itself where we sacrificed all of those animals, that fire. I want that fire on purpose. Then I want you to grab two handfuls of incense and I want you to put it in there. Then you walk into the Holy of Holies. You walk into the place in the tent where I live, where my presence is. And I want that smoke, that incense, that aroma. I want that to fill that room. That's what I want. And you get the very distinct feeling that these two brothers, when it came time for their duty that day, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. They grab some fire. They grab some incense. They go hustling in and God says no. No, that's not what I want. And again, just like with Adam and Eve, something imperfect enters the presence of something perfect. And God says, you can't be here. And they're gone. Fire is what consumed the sin on the altar with the animals. Fire is what consumes the sin in these two brothers. And the crazy thing in it all is that this is not a judgmental God. This is not a vengeant God. This is not a story of hate or obliteration. This is a story of a God who is looking at his people going, I just got you back. And anything that threatens you being wrenched out of my arms again has no place here because I love you. And it doesn't say that these brothers go straight to hell and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just this sense of like, no, something imperfect can't be with me. So I'll remove it so that this perfect thing that I have made in my people can. Oh, it's so good. So, um, one other thing that I think is just so cool, this tabernacle, can we get that picture up on the screen? Um, this, is, this is a real photo from 5,000 years ago. Um, I want you to pick up on some things here. Um, God was so particular in what he wanted. He didn't have them construct some crazy castle built for an overlord. 
He wanted a tent, just like the other tents. And not only that, but the location of this thing. It's as if God's just trying to imply his message right out of the gate. I don't want to be above you. I don't want to be beyond you. I want to be smack in the middle of you. I want to be the center of your life. Detail, detail, detail. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's what it looks like to live pure and perfect and clean. If we get into trouble, we've got the animal deal, but here's what I want for you. Stick with me. Make me the center. What a beautiful image for us today that are trying to follow God. So, what does this mean for us? As this story continues, um, we see that over and over again, um, oh my goodness, I forgot to tell you, there's one other thing that Nadab and Abihu mess up. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Right after they're killed, God gives these commands to Moses. And he says, look, when you come, I think we've got this on the screen too. When you enter the tent of meeting for anyone, don't drink wine or strong drink, not your, not you, nor their sons, lest you die. He gave them a forewarning. This is a fixed rule down through the generations. And then it says this. This is so important. Distinguish between the holy and the common, between the ritually clean and the unclean. These guys probably had showed up to work a little sloppy. It had been an awesome day. There had been so many good things. It was a party. But in this moment, they might have had a little too much to drink. They might be grabbing fire from places they shouldn't be grabbing fire from. And it's, it's so intriguing to me that God is addressing the drinking, but he's actually addressing what's under it. Your job, Nadab and Abihu, is not a simple, common job. Me as a God, I am not a simple and common God. This is holy, what I am and what I'm asking you to do and be. Take your job seriously. And again, for those of us that are trying to follow God today, oh, it's so, so good, such a good lesson. So, as we land the plane for this morning, the story continues. There are these moments where Israel tries so hard and they just fall on their face. There's these distinct moments where they're pushing off saying no and they have this sacrificial system and they enter back in, but over time, it's just so hard for them to maintain. And once we get to the New Testament, Paul, I think, captures this beautifully when he writes about Jesus. And he says this in Romans 10. Moses wrote that anyone who insists on using the law code, all of these instructions that God gave us, in order to live right before God, soon discovers it's not so easy. So what exactly was Moses saying? The word that saves is right here, as near as the tongue in your mouth, as close as the heart in your chest. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God. Y'all, for those of us that have chosen to become Christians, this is what we say. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ before, this is it. It is not about building some wild tent with all these crazy candles. At this point, God, who loves you so much, is saying, I'll do anything to get you back in my arms. In fact, I'm going to send my son down. I'm going to have him killed on the cross. He will be the offering that I make for you once and for all. You will switch places with him and the perfect life he lives, you now have. And yet again, now you who are imperfect and sinful, 
Come and be perfectly in my presence. What a good story. But it's not about us building tents and building these lamps. It's so simple. He says this. Say the welcoming word to God. Jesus is my master. Embracing body and soul. Can you see that embrace? He's longing for that from every single one of us. God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God, trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, you embrace God, setting things right, and then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between me and him. This is so cool. Leviticus, y'all. <laughs> but this is the story that we love to tell of this church. We were imperfect and the God of the universe has rules that he abides by too. And as a perfect thing, he says, you cannot be with me unless you must be made perfect again. Jesus lives a perfect life as God's son. He dies a perfect death. He is the offering on the altar that God consumes. He is the tent right in the middle of us, the thing that came down and dwells among us. Jesus is everything. And the invitation to you is, what do you think of this Jesus? For those that are willing to say, he's mine. He's done everything and I don't have to do a thing. You get a whole fresh start. And the coolest thing in it all is that it's not the end. All that does is take you back to Genesis 1. Now you're just back in the presence of God and we're ready to start a whole new story again. There's more. God said, I want to make you into a nation of priests. He wants to do that in us. But we can't do that without Jesus Christ. I am thrilled today. I think we have some friends who might be joining us from outside. Um, I know we have a friend who's going to be joining us up here at the baptismal. But we have someone who's with us today that has heard this message and has made this choice to say, I, I can't fix it on my own. And I long to be back in the arms of my dad. And I'm going to come out of the water and I'm going to reach for him. And the rest of my life, as best I can, I'm going to be holding on to him. We get to celebrate a baptism today, y'all. So I'm going to hand it over to Dan.